Guys, tonight let's talk about emptiness. The title of my sermon is When Life Feels Empty. And as we uh, go through this message, as we kind of peel back the layers of what it is, I want to discover two uh, questions today. And then I'm going to pose them in the form of why. Okay, so I got two why questions today. The first one is why do we feel empty sometimes? And the second one is why did they stop building the temple? Second one, doesn't make sense to you right now, it will later on in the message. But the first one, we're going to go in right to, right now, uh, why do we feel empty sometimes? And I pose it in this why question, because, I don't know about you guys, but I ask a lot of why questions. And I ask a lot of why questions, because I believe that there's something else uh, beneath the surface. I believe there is more than just what we see at face value. And I believe that about these two questions too. I believe that at face value when we say, man, I'm running empty, I'm running on E, we might say, I had a long day. I had a long day, man, I worked hard today, I went to the gym, I had classes, I had work, whatever it was, I'm ready to go home, I'm ready to plop down to my favorite chair or couch, watch Netflix, I'm ready to get in bed, I'm empty. But I'm talking about like a soul level empty today. I'm talking about like a physically, spiritually, mentally empty, okay? And so what is this? How, why do we feel empty? And I think that to discover this, I think we need to kind of dive into some emotions. And I know the fellas out here, you're probably like, oh boy, emotions. Guys, emotions are normal, okay? We're supposed to feel emotions. I'm sure there's some ladies out here too, but emotions are normal, okay? And what we do is we tend to push them down, we tend to forget about them, we tend to not deal with our emotions. But I believe that a lot of us here today, we probably have been empty our whole life, or we're empty right now, or we're going into a season where we may be empty, like spiritually empty, and we may not even know it. We may not even realize it because we don't deal with our emotions the way that we should deal with our emotions. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna be careful with how I say it, okay? I believe that emptiness can disguise itself in different ways. And I believe one of the ways that emptiness disguises itself is through depression, okay? We understand that there's something wrong inside. We understand that there's something off inside, but we're not really sure what it is. And so when we get depressed, we're like, okay, it's depression, so I'll just fix my depression. I'll just take a, a pill for my depression or whatever it may be, when really the root of the issue is that we're empty. Or maybe it, it disguises itself through anxiety. Man, I know that there's something off. I know that there's something weird going on inside, and it's anxiety. I'm always stressed out. I'm always anxious. And so I'll just fix my anxiety. I'll deal with my anxiety, but we never really deal with the root of the issue, which is our emptiness. And maybe uh, an emotion that you feel is guilt. You feel guilty. Maybe you, you're not living up to the expectations of your parents. Maybe you're guilty from an addiction that you used to have, or maybe an addiction that you're going through right now. Maybe you're guilty because you're not living up to the expectations that you set on yourself. And because of that guilt, it makes us feel empty. Or maybe because of the emptiness inside of us, we feel guilty for the things that we've done or for the things that we aren't doing. Maybe uh, another way where we feel empty is through fear. And I'm not talking about like your friend like jumps out around the corner and scares you. I got a really funny story about that. 
but I'm not going to go into it. But Ben, you know what I'm talking about. That was a funny story. Ben, I scared him one time. He threw, like, milk or water on me or something like that. It was a funny story. But I'm not talking about, like, your friend scares you or, you're, or you scare your mom or whatever. I'm talking about, like, a fear of being vulnerable. I'm talking about, like, a fear of letting people in, a fear of allowing the world to see you for who you really are, a fear of dealing with our emotions. And I want to circle back to this one here in a minute because I believe that that one right there can unlock a lot of things for us and reveal a lot of things for us. Maybe another uh, emotion that you feel is anger. Maybe you are a really angry person, and maybe it's because you're really empty inside, but you don't understand what's going on. You understand that something's off, but you don't understand what it is, and so you get angry, and you take it out on your loved ones. You take it out on your coworkers. You take it out on the people at your school or wherever it may be. Maybe it's not anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe you know that there's something missing inside, but you expect your spouse to fill it for you. And your spouse can't fill it for you, and so your spouse isn't living up to your expectations, and so you're resentful in your bitterness towards your spouse. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you put these expectations on your best friend, but your friends aren't there the way that you want them to be there for you. And so you're bitter towards them, and you're resentful towards them, and you're angry towards them. But really, your friends, your spouse, are trying to fill a hole that they were never intended to fill, that they were never designed to fill. So we're just putting wrong expectations on these people in our life, and we're getting angry at them, and we're getting bitter towards them, and we're resenting them because of it. But it's because we really don't understand what's going on inside. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe you know something's wrong inside, but you don't know what it is. And so you are spending your whole life trying to figure out what you can do to fix it. And so you're focused on what you want and what you think you need. And everybody else in your life can understand that you're selfish. And so they'll keep an arm's distance away from you because they don't want to be close to somebody who's selfish. And because of that, makes us feel empty because maybe the last one is I think that probably every one of us in here have gone through this at one point or another in our life it's loneliness it's loneliness we have nobody we have nothing who are we supposed to go to when we're upset when we're sad when we need to get something off of our chest we just don't have anybody to go to maybe it's not that you don't have anybody maybe you are the most popular person in your friend group and all of your friends want to hang out around you. You get tons of likes on your social media posts, but you really know that none of these people are your real friends, and so maybe you're lonely in a crowd of people. Maybe you're empty in a crowd of people. And these are just six emotions that I talked about. Six. And I'm sure that it's already stirring up some, uh, some feelings. I'm sure that it's already stirring up some emotions in your heart. And you're starting to be able to connect the dots. But there are so many more emotions that you can go over and you could say, man, maybe this is why I feel empty. Or maybe this emotion is disguising the emptiness in my life. And I said I wanted to circle back to fear. And I think that fear sometimes is interesting because we are afraid to let people in, and I think that a big reason why we're afraid to let people in is because we, that we just understand, like, they don't get it. 
right? Like they just haven't gone through the same things we've gone through, right? They just don't understand. And so why would I, why would I open up to this person? Why would, I, why would I go to these people if they just don't get it, right? They're not going to be able to help me in the right way. And I'll be the first to tell you, I agree with you. There are definitely some people in your life who don't get it. There are definitely some people in your life who have not gone through the same things you have gone through, who cannot relate with you because of the things that you've gone through, who cannot empathize with you because of the things that you've gone through and the lack of things that they have maybe gone through. I'll be the first to agree with you on that. But Jesus understands. Jesus knows what you're going through. In just the four Gospels, in just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus felt 39 different emotions. 39. That's a lot of different emotions. Jesus was an emotional dude. He felt grief. He felt joy. He felt pain. And I think that we forget sometimes that Jesus came down to this earth to live a perfect life and to be a sacrifice and to pay the debt that we owed. Yes, he came down to this earth to save us from our sins, but also he came down to this earth to relate with us so that he can understand us. He, the Bible tells us that he was tempted in all the same ways you and I are tempted. In some ways, he was tempted even more so than what we were tempted, but he never once sinned. What a good God we have that he was willing to come down to this earth, die on the cross for us for our sins, and go through the same things that we've had to go through so that he can relate with us, so that he can understand us, so that we can go to him and he hasn't already gone through it himself. When we go to Jesus with these things, he is able to wrap his arms around us. He's able to understand what we're going through. He's able to love us through it. And man, that is so good. And as I, before I answer this, uh, this first question, this first why question, why do we feel empty sometimes, I want to tell you a story real quick. I was driving to work on Wednesday morning, and I was talking to myself in the car, and I I know you guys talk to yourself in the car too, and I know that you try and hide it from the car that's driving next to you or the car that you're stopped by at the stoplight. I was doing the exact same thing. I was like talking like this out of the corner of my mouth so this person on the right wouldn't see me. But I was talking to myself about this message and where I wanted to take this message and how I wanted to, to go about it. So I, I had the title, When Life Feels Empty. It's a great title. I didn't come up with it, but it's a great title. So When Life Feels Empty, I was like, all right. Where am I going to take this? What, what, what approach am I going to take? What scripture am I going to preach out of? And I was like, really, there's, there's only one way um, to answer this question. And it's to be close to Jesus. So that, that's it, really. But I was like, I want to make it fun. I want to make it relatable. I want to have like some big sermon illustration. I really like sermon illustrations. But I was like, I want to have some big sermon illustration. The Lord was just telling me, he's like, just don't water it down. Just don't water it down. You don't have to do anything crazy. It's a simple truth. We feel empty sometimes because we're not close to the Father. Because we're not in relationship with the Father like we should be. And I was like, man, I could, I could preach a great message about how Jesus, he took these empty wine jars, he filled them up with expensive wine, and it was an amazing miracle. It was fantastic. And I could preach a message to you and be like, God's going to take you in your season of emptiness. He's going to fill you up. It's going to be a miracle. You're going to be great. And that message would preach. And we would all leave here today encouraged and uplifted. I could preach to you a message about how the Israelites were in the wilderness and God provided for them. 
He provided food for them, shelter for them, water for them. And I could say, in your season of you being in the wilderness, of you feeling empty, of you having nothing, God's going to provide for you. And it's going to be awesome. And we would all leave here feeling uplifted. I could preach a message you five points on how to be filled up, how to fill yourself up when you feel empty. And you guys would have your notes out, and you guys might even put them on your dashboard on these five points. Put them on your dashboard, put them on your mirror. It would be great. But something that goes heavily into each and every one of my messages is prayer. Because I realize that I suck, and I realize that the only way that I can stand up here is because of God. And Jesus speaking through me. And my words being his words. And so I, I pray every single time before I step on stage, Lord, help me to surrender my tongue to you. Help me to surrender my thoughts to you. Let my words be your words. Because I could preach a motivational speech to you or sermon to you. We would leave here feeling great for a day or two or maybe even a week. But nothing would last. Nothing would really stick. But the word of God sticks. The word of God brings upon life change. And what the Lord was telling me was that the reason we feel empty is because we're not in relationship with the Father like we should be. It's a simple answer. It's one you probably don't even have to write down because you already know it. But if we really want to be filled up, if we really want to be filled up, we have to be in close contact with the Father. We have to have an intimate, personal relationship with the Father. But what we do is we try and fill our emptiness with worldly things. We do. We try and fill our emptiness with worldly things. Some of us in here, you're in school, and you're like, man, I'm just going to grind at school for six, seven, eight years. I know, that I'm, I know that I'm empty right now. I know that I've really never felt joy before in my life. I know that I've never really felt peace before in my life. I know that, you know, I've really even struggled to feel love in my life. But once I just grind out these six, seven, eight years of school, I'll be able to graduate. I'll be able to get an awesome job. I'll marry a smoking hot wife. I'll drive a nice car. I'll have a sweet house. And then, then I'll be filled. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then life will be good. Then I'll feel joy. Then I'll feel peace. Then I'll feel love. Some of us out here, we're like, man, I know that something's off inside. I know that I've never really felt joy. I know that I've really never felt peace. But this is what I'm going to do. This is, my, this is my great plan, guys. Okay? I'm just going to post on social media like five times a day. TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of them. One of them's going to blow up. I'm going to go viral on one of them. And then I'll become famous, and then I'll be fulfilled. That's a great plan, isn't it? I'll be fulfilled once I become famous, and everybody loves me, and everybody wants to be me, right? Then I'll be fulfilled. I promise you that won't fulfill you. Single people love y'all. I promise you, you won't be fulfilled when the Lord brings you that man or woman. I promise you. You may be thinking that. You may be just sticking it out. Man, I know that right now I'm not quite complete. But the Lord, he's going to bring me that man. And he's going to be tall, blue eyes. He's going to be on the worship team. He's going to read his Bible in the morning with his coffee. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be, then I'll be fulfilled. I will. It'll be great. Fantastic. I won't lack anything. Because the Lord's going to bring me that man. No. That ain't how it works. Because each and every one of us has a God-shaped hole inside of us that only God can fill. Only God can fill it. But for some reason, we go to these worldly things to try and fill it. And the world will even tell you, hey, this will make you be fulfilled for a minute. 
No, it won't. A man or a woman won't make you be fulfilled for a minute. A job won't make you be fulfilled for a minute. A lot of money won't, be, won't make you fulfilled for a, little, uh, for a minute. It may give you the illusion that you're fulfilled, but you won't really be fulfilled because you have a God-shaped hole in you because we were designed to worship God. We were designed to be in relationship with God. We were designed to go out and to tell the world about Jesus. That's what we were designed to do. And so until we're living in our purpose, until we're in close relationship with Jesus, until we have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus, you'll never be fulfilled. It doesn't matter what you do, you'll never be fulfilled. Okay? And then the Lord spoke to me some more in my car, and he gave me the scripture to speak at it today. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't even like it. Just going to be honest with you guys. I really did not want to preach this message. But the Lord's telling me to preach it, and I believe that the Lord's telling me to preach it because one of you in here, one of you guys in here, need to hear this message. It's out of Haggai, okay? How many of you guys have heard of Haggai? Raise your hand. I won't judge you if you haven't heard of Haggai. I'll still love you. Haggai, minor prophet, okay? It's in, uh, if you guys want to open your Bibles with me, I won't judge you for going to the table of contents, okay? In my Bible, it's in the 1200s. Kind of in the middle of the back of the Bible, all right? You probably won't find it by flipping through your Bible unless you get lucky because it's only two chapters, okay? But the book of Haggai has a lot of meat in it. I was surprised. I needed this message more than I thought that I needed this message. When the Lord told me, hey, go to Haggai and preach, I was like, all right. But um, before I dive into the, to the scripture, I got to give you guys a little bit of History, but history sounds really, really boring and unrelatable, so I'm going to call it backstory, okay? So I'm going to give you guys a backstory of Haggai real quick before I jump into the scripture, okay? So Haggai is a dude. He's a person, in case you guys are wondering. Haggai's a guy, and uh, he's a prophet, okay? In 606 B.C., 606 years before Jesus was ever born, okay, the people of Jerusalem were living in sin, a ton of sin, Right? And God sent them prophet after prophet after prophet to get them to turn from their ways of sin, to get them to turn towards Jesus and live their life for Jesus. But one, uh, one prophet failed, the other prophet failed, the next prophet failed. And so God's like, all right, I guess I got to do this the hard way. And so he sends them to exile in Babylon for 70 years, completely blows their life up. While they're in exile in Babylon, Jerusalem gets destroyed. And you might be saying, hang on a second. How can God, who's supposed to love people, rip them up from their lives, send them into exile in Babylon, and let Jerusalem be destroyed while they're there? That doesn't make any sense. I thought God was supposed to love people. And you might be in a similar situation where maybe your life got blown up. And you said, hang on a second. I thought God was supposed to love me. I thought God was supposed to lavish me in blessings. I believe in him. I believe that he is who he says he is, so where are my blessings at? doesn't make any sense. I know that I'm not living my life the way that he calls me to live my life, but still, I believe in him. Isn't that enough? And you might say, God doesn't love them. You might say, God doesn't love me, and I beg to differ. I'm going to propose to you today that God loves the, the Jewish people so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to get their attention. 
And God loves you so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes to get your attention. Wasn't it enough that he came down to this earth, that he died on the cross for us to save us from our sins? Don't you think we should be smart enough to go to him and say, man, thank you. I think I need you in my life. But he has to chase us down too. And maybe he was sending person after person after person in your life to say, hey, quit being an idiot. Start living your life for Jesus. Quit going to the bars every weekend. Quit living in sin so much. And you didn't listen. And so God said, oh, I guess I got to do this the hard way. And it's because he loves you so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes to get your attention. What a good father we have. That he's willing to chase us down. Okay? So that's a similar situation with the Jewish people. In uh, 536 B.C., they get to come back to Jerusalem. But it's in ruins, all right? There's, there's nothing there, okay? So they got to rebuild it. And uh, so they get there, and they make, like, a little, like, DIY altar. They, like, just gather some rocks and probably take some, like, E6000 and put it on the rocks and make it stack up and stuff. And then they start building a temple around this altar. But this temple was, like, rinky-dink temple. Like, it was nothing like the one that Solomon had. They just laid the foundation, and then they built the walls up, like, this high, and then they stopped. And so that leads us to our second question. Why did they stop building the temple? Right? Let's hop into Haggai. Haggai, chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius. By the way, if you guys are looking for some baby names, some really good baby names in here, by the way. But you'll hear it. In the second year of King Darius, the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua to the son of Jehozadak. All great names. The high priest, this is what the Lord Almighty says, these people, the time has not yet come, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. All right, so Haggai shows up in 520 BC, 16 years later, 16 years they go without a temple. Back then you couldn't worship without a temple, you couldn't make sacrifices without a temple, okay? And they're living without a temple for 16 years, because they started building it, but they stopped, Okay, and Haggai comes in to get to motivate them to rebuild the temple. When Haggai comes, the Jewish people say, hey, Haggai, it, the Lord says it's not time for us to rebuild the temple yet. And Haggai, in the nicest way, says, no, you guys are dumb. Okay, and um, we pick this up in verse uh, 3. It says, then the, word of, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Nicest way possible, right? He says, okay, so you're telling me it's time for you guys to live in your paneled houses while God's house remains a ruin, right? And the paneled houses, these wooden panels that they were putting in their house were, like, really nice, really nice things. They had to get these imported from Lebanon because there were no trees around for them to build these wooden panels. So they're kind of rare. These panels were supposed to go in the temple. But instead, they took these panels and they put them in their own house. They took the things that were supposed to go in God's house, and they put them in their house. And that got me thinking, man, we kind of do that same thing. We kind of take the things that are supposed to go into God's kingdom, into building God's kingdom, and we build our own lives with them. Like, our money? Yeah, we take the money that God blesses us with, and we put it into our own lives. Instead of, instead of putting it into God's kingdom and building God's kingdom. What about our gifts and our talents? That's God-given. Our gifts and our talents are God-given. We take the things that are supposed to go to building God's kingdom, and we build our own life with them. We build our own house with them. Right? 
just kind of like these people. And so it just got me thinking. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Any of you ever felt like that before? Any of you ever felt like, man, I am planting. I'm planting seeds, but I'm not seeing a ton of harvest. I'm eating food, but I, for some reason I'm never, I, I never have enough. I'm drinking, but I never have my fill. I'm putting on clothes, but I'm not warm. And I'm trying to make money, but I'm putting, into a money, putting my money into a purse with holes in it. So it comes in and it goes out. This is what it's like when we live our life for the world and not for God. Never enough. Never fulfilling. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up onto the mountain and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? See, it turned to be, see, it turned out to be little. What you brought, oh, my phone, declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house, therefore, because of you, heavens have withheld their dew from the, uh, from the earth and its crops. I called for a drought on the, hev- on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, but people and livestock and all that the hands of your labor. Okay, so Haggai shows up, and he's trying to motivate him to get to build the temple, right? They say, it's not time. Haggai says, it is time. And then Haggai kind of describes the life that they've been living, which is a life for the world, a life for themselves. And then he says, the Lord Almighty says, start building your temple because, because you haven't lived your life the way that God calls you to live your life. The heavens with, has withheld their due from you. There's been a drought And maybe you feel that same way. Maybe you feel like my blessings are being withheld from me. Maybe you feel like there's a drought in my life. It's probably because you're not living your life the way that God calls you to live your life, just like the Jewish people were. Just like the Jewish people were. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So they did start building the temple. All right, they eventually started building the temple. The prophet Haggai was successful. But why did they stop? And I think that after reading this scripture, it would be really easy to say, well, their priorities were wrong. They just had misplaced priorities, right? They were building their own lives instead of building God's house. They were building their own house instead of God's house, right? Their priorities were just off. And that message would preach too, because I bet that some of us in here do have some misplaced priorities. I bet that we would rather hang out with our friends instead of spend time with God. I'll bet that we would rather go to uh, practice or play a sport with our friends or whatever instead of spend time with God. I'll bet that some of you came here today just to hang out with your friends instead of learn about God, which is fine. We still love you, okay? But I bet some of our priorities are misplaced. But I think that there's something deeper. I think that there's another level to it. I think that there's something under the surface. And to answer the question, 
why, to answer the question why um, they stopped building the temple, we have to go to Ezra, okay? And this is what, the, this is what Ezra says. Good thing I got these notes because my other notes were messed up. This is what Ezra says, okay? When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you, like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Asherahanda. That's another really good baby name. King of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, you have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel. The, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Did you see it? Did you see the real reason why they stopped building the temple? Verse 4. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They didn't have misplaced priorities. They were discouraged. They were discouraged and afraid. And may I propose to you that maybe some of you don't have misplaced priorities. You understand that God's way is the best way. You try and live your life for God. You understand that, hey, when I wake up in the morning and I start my morning in God's word, and spending time with God, then the rest of my day seems so good, and so we try and make it a priority, but things just keep on coming that we have to deal with. Right? You know that God should be your number one priority. You know that he is number one in your life. Not number one A, not number two, but number one but you're just discouraged. And maybe some of you, you're even like, man, yeah, I'm living my life for Jesus. Man, this is awesome. I'm turning from my old way of sin. I'm leaving that in the past. I'm coming over here to live with Jesus. And the devil, he says, hang on a second. You know if you go over there and live your life for God, you're not going to be able to go to those parties anymore. You know if you go over there and live your life for God, your friends are going to think you're weird, and you might even lose some of them. You know that if you surrender everything to God and, and, and live the way that he calls you to live, you're not going to be able to have sex before marriage anymore. You say, well, shoot, you might be right. You start walking over here, and the devil's like, yeah. Yeah, things are going to be so much better if you just live your life the way that you want to live it. You've been just fine. You've been just fine. I understand that you uh, have never felt peace before. I understand that, that there's something empty inside of you. I understand that, that you're not really fulfilled, but you're just fine. You've been living that way for 20 years. You've been living that way for 25 years. You're fine. And he's discouraging you. And he's pulling you away from Jesus. He's pulling you away from the best decision that you could ever make. To give your life to Jesus. To surrender everything to him. And I think that a lot of us need a word, just like Haggai gave to Zerubbabel and Jehozadak and Joshua. He said, be strong. Be strong. 
Don't be afraid because the Lord is with you. And I'm here to tell you today, be strong. I know that the devil is scheming. I know that he's playing dirty. I know that you really want to live your life for Jesus, that you've really started walking towards Jesus, but then you just get pulled right back into the way of the world because the devil's been whispering in your ear. I know that you've been afraid to give your life to Jesus because you're afraid that everything in your life is going to change, that life is going to be harder. And you know what? It might be. It might be. But I want to encourage you today to be strong. To not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never let you down. He will always love you. He will always grant peace on you. He will always give you joy. He will always give you mercy. He will always give you forgiveness. And if you don't want that, then I don't know what you want. The only way for us to be really fulfilled to fill this emptiness inside of us, this emptiness that we felt all our life, is to run to the Father, to give our life to Him. And I got good news. Every single one of us today can leave here filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the goodness of God. And we're going to have people up here. We're going to have people in the back where you can go to. You can pray with them. I'm going to be probably right over here. You can come up and pray with me. You can come up and talk to me. But each and every one of us today can leave here filled. If you haven't given your life to Jesus yet, do it today. Get baptized today. The Bible tells us repent and be baptized. To repent means to turn from our old ways of sin and to turn towards Jesus. And then get this, we will, be, we will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. Will you guys stand and pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your love, for your goodness, for your mercy, for the peace that you grant us, the joy, the love. Lord, I pray that you be with each and every one of us today that you help us to understand that we need you to be really fulfilled. That we need your grace, that we need your love, and that we need an intimate personal relationship with you. So I pray that you lead us to where you want to take us today, Father. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.